0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to You Have to Watch This, Episode 2. I'm Ted Ryan. I'm Clayton Terry. And today, we are discussing two films. We are discussing Isle of Dogs and Heavy Metal, two animated films that we recommended to each other last week. So, last week, I flipped the coin and we... I lost. So, uh, Clayton, (laughs) flip away and we'll start the podcast. Tease for Ted. Or tails is for Ted. Tails is for Ted. That's how you flip a coin. Fuck, <laughs> and you dropped it. Yeah, see, it's not easy. Where is it? <laughs> oh, oh, I feel movement. Heads, heads. That means my movie go first, or you decide what we talk about first. I want to talk about heavy metal first. Okay, good. No, no, I don't. I want to talk about Isle of Dogs first. Okay, oh, sorry. good. I'm I'm equally excited <laughs> to talk about both of them. So. Awesome. Okay, so those are our two movies. Um, We'll start with Isle of Dogs. I'll do a quick intro. This came out in 2018 and was directed by Wes Anderson. Um, It is a stop-motion movie, IMDb plot summary. Set in Japan, Isle of Dogs follows a boy's odyssey in search of his lost dog. Stated last time, I recommended this to Ted because I really love Wes Anderson's directing, and it was another 2018 movie, so it was fresh in my mind. But Ted, what did you think of Isle of Dogs? I didn't enjoy this film. Really? Yes, I liked parts of it, but overall, I wouldn't say I was invested in the film. I felt the pacing, I didn't really enjoy, and I didn't really get invested into any of the characters. Okay. But artistically um, and visually, I enjoyed the film. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a lot lot to talk about there. Um, Coming from an artist standpoint, I always... Look at things from the artist's point of view. You know, uh, how do they make this? How do they go about doing this? Um, I love the kind of the very square look to the film. Uh, a lot of the character designs are really great with 90 degree angles and uh, the shot composition and very low horizon lines and yeah. shots dictated by single motion. Visually, it was great, but story-wise, I didn't like it. Okay. Well, we'll go into the story in a minute, but I want to talk about like how it was made. It's I'm glad to hear you liked the directing of it cuz that is probably one of my favorite parts of it and the overall composition. What would you think about the comedy? Did that work for you at all? Some of it worked, not all of it. Yeah. Um some of it I just felt like came off as too quirky and I know that's kind of the hallmark of Wes Anderson films, it is, but yeah. you know, it, a lot of lines were just kind of like, ugh. Like, I would just roll my eyes. and. Yeah. Can you think of any off the top of your head? Okay. I liked Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> uh, we've got a great cast in the film. Oh, it's amazing. Um, and, uh, you know, the main cast of characters is these group of dogs that are uh, sent on to this... Pr- Sort of prison isle, prison island. Uh, Jeff Goldblum is a side minor character, and he's always mentioning rumors. Mm-hmm. And at first, uh, you know, so I heard this rumor about this person. And yeah, that got good laughs out mm-hmm. of me. But it kept going on, and they kept repeating the jokes without variation on it. And I was like, all right, move on. I kind of don't want to watch this anymore, you know. <laughs> like, okay, interesting. It just didn't do, do much for me. Mm-hmm. I thought this movie was hilarious and that was reminded. I was reminded of that, um, watching the trailers and different clips on YouTube I watched in preparation for this conversation. I love the quick nature of this and the visual based comedy that he does. (laughs) Ed Norton always trying to get the group to vote is so funny and like the random like sneezes to the the side. The sneezes were nice. It was a nice touch. (laughs) When Brian Cranston's character is like, you make me sick and they just throw us up right there. I don't know. That That kind of quirky Wes Anderson visual-based comedy is what I love. It's another director that's very similar in that is Edgar Wright, and I think I gravitate towards the comedy that both of them kinda exhibit in their movies. It's it's not that it's not a bad film. It's a good film, but it wasn't for me. You know, yeah. um it's well made, it's well directed. I think the story's okay. Mm-hmm. Um the voice acting is pretty solid. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's I didn't, didn't laugh at it a lot. I didn't. Uh, wasn't that funny? Oh, okay. That's a little disappointing. <laughs> you mentioned you weren't crazy about the story. Were there particular aspects that you found flaws in? Yeah. So, right off the bat, we, we get this prologue that explains the story of the little samurai mm-hmm. and how he defeats the evil emperor of a, a, a dynasty by the name of Kobayashi. Uh, who are kind of uh, cat supporters, I guess. They, they worship <laughs> yeah. the cat uh, as a pet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, they go against dogs. Uh, the animals in this film are intelligent and they can speak, which I feel is something that they didn't go far enough with. Like, from the very get-go, I thought, you know, there are going to be more cats in this film. Yeah. I feel like they didn't do anything with the cats. Like, that is something they set up and never did anything with. So the whole film, I'm like, Huh? uh Like, the cats are all behind it? <laughs> something like that, you know? Or there's a cat character or something. It just mm-hmm. feels like there could have been something done with that. It wouldn't be difficult. And, you know, the, the central crux of this story, the, the the impetus for adventure, the call to adventure, is uh, a young man, or young boy, I guess, is... um by the name of Atari, uh, goes onto this island to find his lost dog, Spots. spot, Spots? Spots? Spots. And this uh, cast of dogs help him through this apocaly- apocalyptic wasteland uh, that is littered with the bones of industrial past. And, you know, they, they meet, you know, they have little run-ins and little adventures and little character-building moments. But I just didn't feel like the the central narrative question of, like, him reuniting with his dog wasn't really that satisfying. I don't know if we get it. We'll, I guess, should we get into spoilers? Yeah, we'll get into spoilers in a little bit right now. Uh, you know, after maybe an hour and 20 minutes into the film, uh, he finally gets to meet his uh, long-lost dog. Mm-hmm. And, you know, right when the pacing is ramping up, they cut to, like, the fifth, flashback in the film and that really like pissed me off like yeah the pacing of this film is all over the place with flashbacks and asides and you know right when it's building up to something it completely kills all momentum it feels like the film is dedicated to killing momentum and okay. <laughs> not in a good way like i enjoy slow burn this was frustrating to watch and i just feel like the character arcs in the film aren't really compelling it just feels kind of predictable all around yeah (sighs) that's interesting that you weren't really won over by the emotional aspects of the movie the emotional crux of the film because i actually wrote down in my notes that this is probably wes anderson's most emotional movie at least it's the one that impacted me most the Transformation that Brian Cranston's dog goes through, Chief, um, I found really kind of heartwarming. And again, I didn't rewatch the whole movie, but this few scenes I saw where um, they're kind of growing that bond as they're looking for spots, that really worked for me. And I'm not even necessarily a dog person, so I wouldn't uh, prescribe it to that. What I think is cool about Wes Anderson is he always is trying to make the audience aware that they're watching a movie. The way that plays out in some other films like Grand Budapest Hotel and Moonrise Kingdom is like, don't take any of this too seriously. Like, these kids are up on top of a a bell tower. This guy just got decapitated. This dog just died. But because of the strange framing, because of the way people talk, because of the aspect ratio, you're always aware that you're in this fictional world. So I don't get that emotional connection as much. The only other film of his that I've seen all the way through was Moonrise Kingdom, and mm-hmm. I love that. And I agree with you that his films are very much—it's a fantastical reality. It's a—it's mm-hmm. a—it's a film reality, and I enjoy that. But I feel in this film that in like whereas the other films, I felt. Like it's clear artifice, it's not trying to be real. It still had real emotion and character performances. Okay. I feel in this film it sacrificed real, genuine emotions for laughs and awkward dialogue. Like I it's, okay. I, I really didn't like any characters in this film. I enjoyed Brian Cranston. Mm-hmm. He's got a great voice. He's he does. threatening, <laughs> and the way his voice changes is a great performance. Mm-hmm. I couldn't get it invested, and it just didn't do it. Wow. Okay, I'm disappointed to hear that because I did really like this movie, and I really like all of Wes Anderson's stuff, um, all that I've seen, I should say. Um, so I hope this doesn't turn you off from him or his no. style of filmmaking. One thing I, I do want to mention uh, is the the music and the atmosphere in the film is fantastic. Yeah. A lot of uh, much like Hidden Fortress, this definitely feels like a uh, an intro to Japanese culture. You know, you have sumo wrestling and tea ceremonies and uh, robot dogs, and the, uh, like it's <laughs> yeah. the music. Um, a lot of use of drums and traditional music. It it it, it helped me. It, see, this film is frustrating because there's so much effort and love put into the visuals and audio. You know, like, I love what I'm seeing. I don't like what I'm thinking. You <laughs> okay. know? like. Yeah. And I mentioned it before, but the shots when they're going to through the apocalyptic imagery with a tall gray grass and abandoned sports club and factories and, like, I love that stuff. That is fantastic. You know, that's mm-hmm. right up my alley. Well, it's good to hear that you like that aspect of it. I do think that is certainly the strongest part of Arguably, all of Wes Anderson's movies is the the production design and the costumes and the whatnot. The attention to detail is yeah. excellent. One thing that I always loved seeing was how the fur on the dogs would subtly move in yeah. response to wind. Like <laughs> like that that level of detail is just fantastic. Cause it, I'm I'm wondering how they even accomplish that because if you touch a piece of fur too much, you might mess up the shot. You know, like yeah. It just It's another layer that shows, like, the skill involved in the animation, which I really appreciate. I really, I encourage you and anyone listening to look up some of the um, videos of the animators behind the scenes, because it is so interesting the way they did, like, the faces, because all the human characters, they all have, like, 250 different right. mouths, because they have to do all the um, phonetic sounds that the character needs to make, and you're doing that with two different languages, which is so interesting. The amount of effort put into this movie, it's just, I love when filmmakers are talented and they care a lot when they're making their movie. I find that so (laughs) enjoyable to watch behind the scenes and during the movie. And I don't think Wes Anderson has ever been like, oh, this is easier, so we're going to do this. It's always what's going to look best um, to the audience. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate that aspect of his filmmaking. His movies are like, they can be dark without being cynical They can be whimsical without being detached. Yeah. I have a question for you. Why were you invested in this story? You haven't talked about the story yet, and it's more been you discussing why you like his films. His filmmaking, yeah. In general, what about the characters did you get? You know, you mentioned uh, Atari and Chief. Mm -hmm. Uh, You enjoyed their relationship, but, you know, can you go into more detail why you like that and the other hundred plot lines in this film <laughs> 100 plot lines so all the other like side storylines because there's the one girl who like has a crush on atari right i i <sighs> didn't interpret those as like contributing too much to the story i interpreted those as comedy and they worked for me i thought they were funny i didn't you i didn't, didn't like, like i didn't like them at all i was <laughs> oh, really i i didn't like the character i that was those were the biggest pace killers for me yeah i could see that um especially if the comedy's not working for you it's like why are you cutting away from the main story for something that isn't funny i i could see that but um there's something so like wholesome about this kid who just wants to find his dog and some people have argued that the making all the japanese characters talk through either dogs or a literal translator is kind of problematic. I don't personally... In what way? They feel like you're removing the voice from this culture that you're trying to appreciate. And I don't know if I agree. I don't know if I'm the person to <laughs> have a verdict on that. I can see that yeah. argument, mm-hmm. but I disagree. I think it adds to the respect to the culture. Um, you know, the idea of things being lost in translation. Yeah, You can't have that if the characters that are of the, a culture or speaking that language, mm-hmm. you're not losing anything in that. In a way, that plays into this theme of, like, kind of love transcending language because it's about a boy and his dog who can talk, but the dog can't talk to the boy, you know what I mean? Um, I guess later on they get the earpiece. <laughs> I never really understood the earpiece. Like, does it translate for them? Or yeah, it does... translates the, the human speaking in Japanese to dog, I guess. You know what I think I would want... I wanted to hear what was being said through the earpiece translated, you know? And we never got that, so it was always like, what is the earpiece doing right now? Because, like, as an audience, we're not getting the effect that the earpiece has on the characters. Yeah. So it's, like, kind of confusing. And that, that would play into the argument of not giving the Japanese characters their own voice, because you give... A translator to one of the main characters and then you don't really see you still don't see what the japanese boy is actually saying right um so i do understand that argument but to me it does come down to that theme of like love transcending species between like a boy and his dog if you had the characters would be able to talk to each other or directly understand each other in a way that we could in the sense that the boy has subtitles and then we hear the dogs respond they, we don't have that. So they have to sell the connection between the boy and his dog entirely visually. They have to sell it with a performance of like a statue, which besides being a technical marvel and a testament to the craft that they put into this movie, I think it made it even more emotionally resonant for me because it was so non-traditional. Okay. So you brought up that you wanted the cat set up to go somewhere. I don't remember them explicitly setting up the. Cat stuff. I thought they were just characters that in the prologue, the the characters that are set up the way the way the conflict is set up. You got dogs are hated by the Kobayashi family. The Kobayashi family loves cats. The Kobayashi family or dynasty plans a coup and starts wiping them out on uh, domesticating them. I mm-hmm. guess on uh, a little samurai defeats Kobayashi. You know, you mentioned this theme of love across species like, why not bring cats into that? You know, like, it feels like it's a missing part of the equation that is, it's something that I felt like deserved to be explored in the story. And the film didn't even try to do that. I would disagree. Um, again, I haven't seen it in a while, the full film. So if they explicitly set it up and then they don't pay it off, that's bad writing. But from my memory, what I would argue is that I once heard a film critics say, you can't critique a movie for what it isn't you have to critique it for what it is yeah and you can't be like i would have liked the story better if it focused on like cats versus dogs because that isn't at all what they were going for you know what i mean so if you wanted a different movie that's hard you can't critique Isle of dogs for what it isn't you have to critique it for what it is i guess that's a fair assessment mm-hmm. uh, and i do too i'm like man it would be so much cooler if you did this like it comes out most prominently in movies that are just barely bad, where it's like right. you just if I if you could just make these tweaks, it would work. But I, I saw uh, the M Night uh, film Glass. Glass recently, and I loved Split. Um, I thought that was like a fantastic sleeper hit, and Glass it was a really interesting film because there's so much good in it, but it gets it's so close to being great, you know. So it's like. Uh, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I disagree with so many directorial choices in the yeah. film that could have easily been made. So it's like hard to grope with that with that um, issue in my mind. But are those critiques, is it like, if you included this set of dialogue or this sequence, I would have identified with this character more? Or is it if you did this entire different plot line, I would have liked it better? Because those are two different arguments. It's the former. I guess... Can I go into spoilers for Glass for one scene? Um, I don't care. I'm not probably going to see it. <laughs> spoilers for Glass. Uh, so there's a part in the film where all the characters are in a, in a, a sane asylum. For one, you know, for a reason, uh, Bruce Willis has to get out of his uh, cell, his detainment area. And he's, like, super strong, and he's, like, come to doubt, like, am I really a superhero, Am I or am I just insane? And if he doesn't get out of his cell, something really bad is going to happen. And so we get a shot of him punching the door and there's a dent and he kind of like, I can't do it. And then the next time we cut back to him, the door flies off the hinges and he's in the hallway. If I was M. Night in that situation, I would just have a, a scene wh- that allows Bruce Willis to act through the struggle. Mm-hmm. Him struggling to find the strength, the inner strength to open up this door. Yeah. And, you know, him failing over and over again. And then, you know, maybe you cut away to like a memory of his or the music swells or something. And then finally, he finds the power within himself to, you know, he yells and breaks down the door. And we would have, like... It would have been a great emotional moment in the story. And you know, that's not changing a plot line. I guess that's what I'm trying to say for I love dogs with cats, but yeah. small changes that make what already is happening more compelling. Right. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I see that. I think those are more valid critiques than changing the entire plot line, but that's another discussion entirely. So <laughs> next week we'll talk about glass. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, it was good i liked it (laughs) i haven't seen unbreakable yet me neither what (laughs) that's probably the only uh, i didn't say the only good one that's probably the best of the three you didn't like split i thought it was fine wait hold on you didn't see unbreakable and you're saying it's the best of the three you know i do that you know i do that it probably is split was fine It would have worked better as a short film, maybe. It was a little long. Jeez, you're breaking my heart. I'm sorry. I didn't know you were that invested in it. I'm not. I'm more of the happening guy. No, not that one. Which one one have I actually seen? The Knowing? Who cares? Who cares? Moving on. (laughs) Moving on. Ted, the movie you had me watch is Heavy Metal. Tell us a little bit about that movie. Heavy Metal is a 19... 81 animated film produced by Ivan Reitman and directed by a variety of different directors as this is this film is an anthology collection of several short uh, animated sequences um, that are done in a variety of, anima- variety of animation styles and they're all linked together by a framing narrative of a little green orb that is the manifestation of all evil in the universe And these stories are adaptations of stories found uh, in a magazine by the same name. Uh, It was a famous comic uh, magazine uh, in the early 80s that introduced American audiences to many uh, foreign artists, most notably Mobius, who I would argue is probably the most influential person uh, in science fiction visually. Um and yeah, it's it's there's a lot to talk about in this film. When did you first see this? I want to say I saw this maybe 2 or 3 years ago. Oh, okay. I pictured And then younger. I re- I did rewatch it last summer as well. Okay. I would have guessed that there was some nostalgia baked into this pick, so that's interesting for me to hear that it was newer. Part of it. What did you think of this film? I really enjoyed this film. Okay. Um. So, this is a bunch of vignettes, so I figured the best way to go about it would kind of tackle each vignette. Okay. Individually. So, and then give her overall opinion of it at the end? Yeah, and then talk about kind of conclusions I came away with. So I guess spoilers for the whole thing, but this is kind of hard to spoil because there's no like framing story. Right. It's more... You watch it for the experience, kind of. It's one of those. Definitely. So the first one is the Blade Runner-esque taxi driver picks up this girl whose father (laughs) was recently killed, and she has to transport the orb. That's the framing narrative. Yeah, this one happened. Wow, <laughs> that what? <laughs> what what works for you with that specific uh story? All right, I- I'm going to be talking about the visuals a lot. Okay, being an artist, first off, the animation and the art in the sequence is breathtaking. This film predates Blade Runner, and Ridley Scott used it does. You're right. Magazines of heavy metal, like with stories like this, mm-hmm. to influence the design of that uh film. And, you know, first off, like, everyone apes Blade Runner following that. You know, you see Coruscant, and it's it's the yes. science fiction future city. Definitely. Um, I wasn't saying Blade Runner, like, this is ripping it off. I was right. saying just as, like, that's the first thing that came to mind in my visual repertoire of film. I, I just, there's so much love throughout this film, and this sequence, like, you like... all the little characters and little dialogue, like the dialogue I loved and the performance of the main character, the taxi driver. And, you know, it's grimy, it's dirty. It's like future New York, but it's still the same, you know, it's, it's scummy, it's dirty, but there's, there's heart underneath the surface, you know, there's, there, there's love and life to be found in this inhospitable bleak apocalyptic world i guess i should get into it this film is very much a male uh fantasy oh that's a lot of my notes we'll get into it (laughs) Uh, i purposely recommended this video because i knew you wouldn't like it for that reason uh yeah yeah and i wanted you to be exposed to something you didn't like yeah i mean i've been exposed to things i don't like before but i appreciate that i guess um yeah you talk i bring up these points later um you talk about the dialogue and the character creation specifically talking about the characters first because i know this is a big thing for you i didn't think the character design of all the different aliens was interesting at all it was like this alien's brown and a little shorter this one's pink and has horns this one's blue and a little bumpy i was like that's not creative okay i guess that's a fair assessment i just seeing them in motion adds a layer of life to these characters you know i i i just the story is very much a noir detective story it's i i like the characters in that sequence it's 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 a it's a tale old as time um he, uh, you know man finds evil orb you know <laughs> man finds evil orb with woman that yeah. he has sex with and then kills <laughs> yeah tale as old as time tale. um And then you talked about the dialogue. I really, really dislike unnecessary voiceover in movies. I don't know where it comes from. Maybe the first cut of Blade Runner I watched, that's that's a horrible voiceover. But in this movie... Cold fish. That's (laughs) what my wife calls me. (laughs) In this movie, this and the next uh, story, every single time something was said in narration... Oh, it made me so angry. <laughs> really? It was so pointless. It was the antithesis of the, what we talked about last week of like show, don't tell. It's like for the next scene, the next story, which we can get into the characters, like I figured I should act tough. And then he says like, a he talks with like a deep voice and it's like, you didn't have to tell us that he wraps a towel around him and he's like i didn't want people to see my dork it's like that's not maybe that was funny in the 80s but it's not funny now and it doesn't add to anything so don't use voiceover narration unnecessarily so i think with that sequence we should bring up i want to bring up the magazine again that is a almost direct adaptation of a story originally found in the magazine okay and the artist in that um, really depicted the, the figures in a new way at the time, where it's bizarre cartoonish proportions. The, both the men and women are the most grossest, disgusting uh, caricatures of the male and female form, uh, but they're rendered realistically. And one of the reasons why I love this film is that at the time, the only real animation house was Disney. And the way this film was, you know, made was that they contacted animation studios in, uh, America, Canada, France, uh, England, all, all throughout the world. And people leapt, leapt at the opportunity to add their work on this. Like, this is our first chance to work on a feature film. And, you know, it's, it's easy for mo- modern audiences to see this film and be like, ugh, like, This is a product of the 80s, you know, like, like, this is disgusting. This is gross, you know, and, you know, it's, it's fine to look at things at a modern lens, but this film is really the first of its kind to tackle so much of the subject matter in an animated film. And if you were to compare it to anime, which I'm not really into, but I haven't really given it a genuine shot, you know, there's anime for all age groups, and that's something that is largely uh, absent in the West um, and to Western audiences. You know, you see that it's started coming around nowadays, but still not to a major extent. You know, it, it's it's corny and there's a lot of eye rolling stuff, but I I love it for its uniqueness and its 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 the passion involved in the animation, and it just feels like a labor of love from everyone involved. You know, like. Sure, you may say the alien designs were weak, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, these people were working 24-7 in addition to normal commercial work in order to get this film made. You know, mm-hmm. it's, I I can't not enjoy it for the, the work that gets put into it. Definitely, and I was, as you were saying that, I was looking up to see if, because you said that this was one of the first films to kind of tackle the subject matter through the animated medium, and... The first thing that came to mind was Pink Floyd's The Wall and the animated features of that film. And that came out a year after. And a lot of the beloved anime movies um, that we still talk about came out after this. So I don't necessarily disagree with that assessment. I understand that we shouldn't automatically disqualify films because of the context of when they were made. I would argue that this the technical aspects of this film, the character design, the animation, the scenery, isn't compelling enough wow. to forgive that. Oh my god. I have a couple points here where I did really like it. I liked the visuals at the beginning of the den, the second one that we're kind of in the middle of talking about. Right. The like space trip that he goes on. Um, I liked the... Ending, yeah, the last one with the—I forget what they call themselves—but the woman who's a last of this like species on the mount. That was that. That is the standout sequence for that film. I love, 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 love that sequence. Yeah. Um, you've seen my artwork. That the way that that segment is not a direct adaptation of Mobius's work. Um, I don't think they, he did the storyboards for the sequence, but they didn't get the rights to his story. (laughs) Uh, so his hand isn't involved in it and the artwork is beautiful. And the use of color and like strong, like bold line, a black line, uh, it's a, it's a feast for the eyes. And, you know, again, modern audiences will say, you know, like the skimpy, uh, bikini armor type thing is tacky and, lame but I wouldn't use tacky and lame if, if there's one example of a film that does it best this is the best ever use of it like it it is just like awesome it's it's like badass it's just fucking cool I, I it's so cool like that character that mute uh barbarian not barbarian uh like Valkyrie woman I love her she's great why do you love her why do you think you feel that um level of badassery (laughs) (laughs) to talk about modern movies today we see a a movement to include strong female characters um and your eyes just glared with fire (laughs) i'm just i'll keep going and like I, i i think films of this era do it best where the characters aren't Defined by their gender, they they are badass because they are badass. Ellen Ripley, Sarah Connor, with the exception of, like, both of them showing maternal qualities, like, kind of them being whim- a woman is almost a secondary nature. You know, Ellen Ripley was originally written genderless in the script. Mm-hmm. Um, this character is mo- definitely feminine. It's... They... But she... The way that she acts is... Just distinctly cool and s- strong-willed and strong-jawed and you know takes no shit, uh, you know just a, just does cool stuff. You know. Yeah, I mean, I very much disagree with the assertion that I love Ellen Ripley and Sarah Connor. I agree that those characters, and I would throw the Bride in there. Right. There strong because of the character that they're portraying that they are um ellen ripley is strong because of her resiliency and her quick thinking sarah connor's strong in her preparedness and whatnot the bride is just badass all together with her she's the best at what she does and that's why she is able to accomplish what she accomplished not going to spoil kill bill these characters in this film, let me ask you a question. Is there a single woman in this film that we don't see nude? Oh, uh, no, not really. So how can you call that genderless when the one attribute, well, the one of like three attributes of that final character is that she doesn't talk. So we'll say she talks with her sword <laughs> to kind of group into she's a woman and. And she's a part of this clan or whatever that we're told matters. She she isn't a character. She's someone, if that was a man, if it was a man who didn't talk and just kill people with their sword and then sacrifice themselves, that's not compelling. A good character needs to be a good character regardless of the gender. Ellen Ripley isn't strong because she's a female. She's strong because she's badass and skilled and smart. And quick on her feet, and can manipulate and people. This and care about them. This character, while is, she's a is, woman, that goes the same for this character. I disagree entirely. She does not succeed because of her womanness. She succeeds because of her determination to vanquish her enemies. You know, like it's the same thing. It's just, I don't know if we're going to be able to come to an agreement. We could just agree to disagree. Yeah, I thought the. Point women served in this movie was to be sexualized, and sometimes that was demeaning. Sometimes they were glorifying them, but it was solely out of sexuality, in my opinion. Um, I found I would it, agree with that in the other segments, definitely. Yeah, in the other segments, it was really bad. <laughs> um, I mentioned before this is very much, you know, a male power fantasy. Mm-hmm. I recognize that the context. That this was made in and the context we're in right now makes it hard to revisit that. But I don't think that means we should automatically neglect the fact that women are sexualized in this movie, and it's frankly uncomfortable. I don't think we should regret, we should neglect the fact that Rick Deckard is pretty rapey in Blade Runner. We should talk about these things because they may have been made in the nineteen eighties, but we're talking about them in twenty ten. I'm not saying still. I'm not saying looking at them is. Uh, Looking at these uh, through a modern lens is invalid. I'm not saying that. Uh, It's a valid criticism. And that's one of the main reasons why I wanted to discuss the film was this issue of how the women are depicted. This film is almost like the the opposite of Isle of Dogs for me, where I love the visuals in Isle of Dogs, but I hated the story. This film... I wasn't crazy about the story, but the visuals elevated it for me. You know, the visuals and animation elevate everything for me because of the quality and passion involved. So your your, your criticisms are definitely valid. You know, my love of the art goes beyond it. We are forced to still talk about movies that are incredibly problematic because of the technical marvel that they accomplished the first one that comes to mind is birth of a nation which was the first film to kind of do editing but it's really fucking racist and the whole point of it is like the ku klux klan like saves this town from former slaves it's really horrible but the only reason we have to keep talking about it in the modern context is because it was the first film to have editing and that's the only reason, in my opinion, to talk about these problematic movies of the past now is if they were able to accomplish something technically. Are you saying this film does not accomplish anything technically animation wise? Because I am <laughs> it, there. None of it worked for me. Wow. Okay. There is a variety of animation techniques that were really pioneered for this film. Yeah. Um, and a lot of experimental uh, animation that is again contributes to that really individual indivi- individual um feeling that kind of counterculture feeling you know mm-hmm. the, the opening sequence of the film is this bizarre uh car like crashing down yeah. via parachute that was essentially that's a process called rotoscoping where they film a live action sequence and then paint over each of the frames and you can say you know that maybe removes a bit of the artist's hand, but it creates a new effect, a new act form of animation. I don't know if it was the first rotoscoping, but I think it was the first used in a major motion picture. Mm-hmm. But the the there's so much going on technically that I I think it's still valid. Um The variety of animation used in the variety of techniques, just as like. by the nature of it being an anthology, also makes it compelling. You know, each segment has essentially a different style, a sort of similar color palette, but the the way the characters are drawn and animated is different because these are, you know, you can see all the different artists across the globe, you know, lending their hand, lending their talents, and this collaborative feeling, this kind of, like, art artists around the world coming together, you know? Yeah, and I recognize that maybe my point comes out of a decent amount of ignorance. I haven't seen a lot of the movies. This would go on to expire, go on to inspire, but some of the ones I have, like Ghost in the Shell, you could see that maybe it drew from this Blade Runner. After you outlined that, definitely makes sense. Um, Pink Floyd's The Wall covers similar themes um, <laughs> with a similar animation style. I don't think there's anything that could make this movie work for me as a whole, but I think this conversation has made me appreciate its influence more. It it definitely has had an influence on me and my artwork, and so it's it's something that I I, I think back to with fondness, um, most especially the background art and some the you know the. Some of the main characters. Just visually, I love well, Before we move on, I'm not really a, a rock and roll guy, but this soundtrack was kind of kick-ass. <laughs> I wasn't even going to go into that because I'm like, I know I'm in the minority for not finding rock and roll interesting. I don't like it either, but again, attached to the visuals, it, it makes me like it. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you got that. I, it didn't work for me. <laughs> Breaking my heart here, but... I know. To end on a high note, though, because I have kind of ripped on this movie, um, some of the things that we haven't talked about, the B-17 bomber sequence, I thought was really cool. But it's also, I think, the shortest, which was really disappointing because I wanted to see more of that. It was originally going to be longer, but they moved up the release date um, oh, several okay. months. And also, fun fact, um, the animator for that sequence uh, was actually a... a a B-52 bomber pilot in World War Two, Wow. And it was like a dream job to animate that sequence. Because the attention to detail with like the walkway and the ropes, yes. I was like, man, you don't see that that often. You usually realize Even they compromise today. that for filmmaking purposes, but... And to bring up the animation again, you could really argue that traditional animation has kind of died out in recent years to 3D animation. Um, uh, you know, it's still exist but the the major studios have moved on to 3d and again this the passion and the detail involved is like breathtaking for me personally Mm -hmm. and you know stuff like that segment and the the way characters move blows me away yeah i think i like some of the 2d animation i think some people rip on the 3d animation that we're currently getting a little too much. Like... I'm not saying 3D animation or CGI is bad. I okay. love it. Yeah. A, I'm just saying as a trend in the animation realm, it's just cheaper to make. Yeah, that's true. It is much cheaper now. But yeah, some of the other things we've already talked about. I thought the set design uh, and that sequence for flying through the uh, basically Mobius comic was really cool. Yeah, and certain parts worked more than others for me, but I couldn't get past the sexualization of women, the kind of nihilistic approach it told all of its stories, the voiceover narration. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm sorry, but it really didn't work for me. <laughs> That's fair. I we both recommended animated films that we weren't the other person people. didn't like. Yeah. So again, we've coincidentally recommended similar films. Yeah, worked out. Um, so on that note, Ted what am I watching next week? All right. So we discussed having a topic for this next week. (laughs) Uh, We scrapped it because it was hard. We couldn't think of something. It's really tough. So I'm going to be recommending one of my favorite movies, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I was hoping you'd recommend this. (laughs) Yes. I'm so excited. It's a fantastic film. Amazing performances. Star-studded cast before they became star-studded, except for Jack Nicholson. Um, Really great. I am so excited to watch this movie. Hoping you would recommend this to me and force me to watch it was one of the reasons in the back <laughs> of my mind I wanted to start this podcast. Cool. Glad it only took three weeks to get to it, especially after heavy metal. Anyway. Um... Yeah, okay. Keep your snide comments <laughs> to yourself. Ted, you pushed me out of my comfort zone this week and made me watch a movie I would never seek out on my own. Yes. Um, And I really appreciate that, even if I wasn't crazy about the movie, it taught me things about the influence in movies I do like, and it made me appreciate some of the visuals that aren't contained in the animated films I gravitate towards. So this week, I wanted to pick a movie that I don't think you would ever watch on your own. Okay. So I am going to have you watch Barry Jenkins' Moonlight. Do you know anything about this movie? Uh, I know there was an Oscar mix-up with yeah. La La Land, I think. Yeah, it was. La La Land, also a great movie. Um, just barely edged out as my favorite of that year, for those of you paying attention. <laughs> I, I know... I think it's about a a, a gay man. I yeah, think? it's a gay black kid growing up in Miami, I believe. And it's told in three segments. Um, one when he's really young, one when he's early high school, and then one when he's older. And... This movie was very moving to me. It has kind of stuck in my brain ever since. Um, so I'm excited for you to watch it. I really hope you like it. I don't know if you will, but like I said, it's outside of your comfort zone. So Okay. Yeah, I look forward to it. Um, and our intro song, we got an intro song this week. Woo! It's Outro by Wolfpack. And awesome band. Check them out. So good. Um, a lot of good instrumentals. And great vocals too. Like yeah, really um, much like heavy metal. Uh, very, very a lot of passion involved and very unique. Yeah, passion. Isle of Dogs. Um, our in our cover art is done by this talented guy, Ted. That's me. And Ted, is there anywhere people can find more of your work? Yes, I have recently opened up a Twitter account, and I haven't posted anything on it yet. But I will be in the coming days and weeks. Uh, So you can find me at Ted Ryan Art at These Fine Times. These Fine Times on Twitter. Yes. Sweet. And I host two other podcasts. I'm on the Terry Talks podcast, as mentioned last time. And I also occasionally host uh, stories worth sharing. So I would check those out, too, if you don't hate my voice. Um, (laughs) 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 Thanks, and we will see you next week. Bye.